Grab your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We spent a few weeks in Acts 3. This is the same story unfolding, and we're going on like week 4 of the same story unfolding. Peter and John heal a crippled man who had been crippled from birth, a beggar, and then the crowd rushes in. So we spent one week talking about miracles and suffering. Then the crowd rushes in, and we spent another week on the beginning of Peter's sermon to the people. Now we are going to spend like this third week on what happens after the officials show up, the authorities show up. And then Peter and John get the chance to share their faith with the ruling people of their day. And it's very intimidating. We're going to learn today how to share our faith, how to be bold witnesses to those who maybe aren't too happy that we are saved. That's why the sermon is called, You're So Annoying. Maybe you feel that people feel that way about you. When faith comes up, they think you're a Christian. You're so annoying. The rulers are going to feel like Peter and John are so annoying. How do you feel about speaking in general? Like, do you clam up when you have to talk either publicly or to people? And do you get even more nervous when you have to talk about spiritual things? Thinking about Peter and John, I remember I've only been in front of a judge twice in my life, both because of minor traffic offenses. Remember the first time I ever appeared before a judge in court, I was in college, I was speeding, and I didn't have proof of insurance, so I had to go to court. And of course, I couldn't drive, so my mom had to drive me to court. I dressed real nice, but I couldn't hide the fact that I had a ponytail that went all the way down to my belt. I looked guilty. So there I was in front of the court. They called my name, and I walked up there. I was kind of nervous, right? And then the prosecutor was over there. He looked at me like he wanted to put me away for life. Like, I think he had the orange jumpsuit in his bag, and he was just going to throw me away. And so then, you know, they said, all right, can you, do you have proof of insurance? And I pulled it out. Please give it to the prosecuting attorney. And I walked it over and gave it to him. And then he looked at it and looked at me and looked at it and looked at me. And he said, there's no expiration date on this, Your Honor. I don't know when it was valid. And, I, and then he looked back at me and I didn't know what to do. So guess what I did? I looked back to mom. <laughs> mom! So embarrassing for a college student to need his mom. Well, mom got up with her purse. Moms have everything necessary at all times in their purse to save their children. She opens up her purse and rummages through it. I don't know what she gave that man or said to him, but he cracked. And then, and then they finally said, okay, this is sufficient. You are free to go. And that's why I'm not locked up today. Because <laughs> of my mom. Now look, I'm sharing that story because I know that stress level of like, can I prove I have insurance and what happens if I don't? I don't know the feeling of actually being on trial for my life. And it's because of my faith that I'm hauled into not just the circuit court of Cook County, but the Supreme Court of the whole land. So put yourself in Peter and John's shoes. We are going to go with them into this, into this trial, and we're going to learn how to be bold witnesses of faith for Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we get into the Word. Thank you, Father, for stories about the apostles who were dragged in front of courts, put on trial, had to figure out what to say, and they discovered that you were with them. And I pray that we would discover the same thing, that when the time comes for us to share our faith with other people, we don't need to be afraid. We can become bold, courageous witnesses for you, and you can use us 
to transform the lives of other people. Jesus, make us these bold witnesses, and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we are. Acts 4, verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, where are we again? We're in the temple in Jerusalem, not long after Jesus went back up to heaven. Okay, we're talking like months. And there we are, this crowd had gathered because they healed a crippled man who was now leaping and dancing and praising God. So picture all that in your mind. And now the law shows up. The priests, the, the temple guard, here they are. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. All right, first thing you can jot down is this. Expect opposition to your faith. Expect opposition to your faith. They just healed a guy, uh, and they got arrested and spent the night in jail. What? Can you even imagine having the power to heal somebody? Boom! And then you're in jail. <laughs> that doesn't seem to go together. You know, even if you do your very best job telling somebody else kindly, confidently about Jesus, they might completely reject you, heckle you, make fun of you, or report you. So expect opposition to your faith. Let's do a recap here. Who's who? Well, Peter and John are the apostles. They're the ones who were center stage here. The crippled guy who was crippled for over 40 years, everybody knew him. He's a beggar. Now he's healed. And then the priests show up, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. Who are they? Well, the priests run the ceremonies, and the um, captain of the temple would have been like the second in command to the high priest, and he would have had uh, a, a team of people who had authority to actually protect the temple grounds. They couldn't, the Jews, because they were under Roman rule, couldn't really kill anybody except if they speak against the law or the temple. Now you've got blasphemy going on. Uh, that's why they kept trying to convict, convict Jesus on those charges, and they'll do that with Stephen too. Did you speak against the temple? Did you speak against the law? Now we can kill you, okay? Uh, there were signs in the temple area restricting the movement of Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile crossed over the barriers, now they can do something too. If you were disturbing the peace, then they can take action because they didn't want Rome breathing down their necks. Anyway, that's a little background. Here's a model of the temple. And um, the, the temple, this is a re, you know, obviously a reproduction, but the temple had the colonnade on the outside. That's where people would gather. That's likely where they were. That center part is where the priests would be doing their ministry. And so they all came out, and there was this commotion, and they wanted to figure out what was happening. The Sadducees um, were the more liberal, worldly, secular rulers. They were more in control of the temple. Pharisees were generally more conservative. They were more in control of the local synagogues. They don't come up yet here. The Sadducees were more in cahoots with Rome. They were more corrupt, and they had more power over the priesthood. Their theology was faulty. They didn't believe in much of the Old Testament. They didn't believe kind of in the spiritual realm. Angels, demons, resurrection from the dead, miracles. Come on, come on. We're just running a business here, okay? Well, now they've got a healed man to deal with. And the apostles are saying that a dead guy who rose from the grave healed this guy. They've got big problems. Okay, they either have to go and change the theology books or they have to start putting this fire out. 
The scribes who are coming up soon were experts in the law. Um, Annas will come up soon too. And, he, uh, and then Caiaphas will come up as well. These are two big figures in the New Testament. It was in Annas's backyard that the rig trial took place where they condemned Jesus before the courts were even opened. And, um, and then Annas and Caiaphas, Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and so former, former high priest. These rulers would have been part of what, imagine if today the Supreme Court and the Congress merged and then they formed a department of religion and they were in charge of all the churches. That should horrify you. All right, that's these rulers. Now you've got a little more background. So the question is, how would you feel if these were the people, the, the very people who, who just killed the Son of God, now they show up and they throw you in jail? How would you sleep that night? They're going to bring you tomorrow morning. They're going to haul you in. That They killed God's Son, and now you're, now you're up. How would you feel? Man, talk about becoming a bold witness overnight. Plus, how was the apostles' track record? What happened kind of the last time Peter had the opportunity to like really be a bold witness? Uh, if memory serves me correctly, he kind of went for the throat with the sword and then ran away, then denied Jesus three times and then cried like a baby. Okay, but maybe you've had opportunities to share your faith and you have failed. Well, join the club because Peter kind of made a fool of himself in the Bible. How is this all going to play out? Expect opposition to your faith. It will come. They probably felt powerless. Maybe they felt doomed, hopeless, trapped, anxious, terrified. Maybe they would be dead by sundown the next day. Maybe God filled them with a peace that transcended all understanding. We don't know. We'll find out when they wake up. Expect opposition to your faith. It's coming. Jot this down. Jesus warned us about persecution. Jesus warned us about persecution. Things are getting worse in the world quickly for those who stand up and support Christian beliefs. We're still okay. It's not, not likely you're going to go out this week and get thrown in jail or beat up for your faith. Things are getting worse. You could get in trouble at work. You could get in trouble with your family. You could get in trouble just out in public, depending on what you say, where you say it. You can offend people. It could quickly escalate to legal action. There could be consequences if you work in certain companies that have certain policies and your beliefs contradict those things. It's getting worse very quickly for those who stand up in support of Christian beliefs. In John 16, 1-3, we'll put it up on the screen, it says this, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away, Jesus said. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Now there's a way to get a following. Jesus didn't have very many followers, and he's going to build a team. And what does he tell them? Yeah, people are going to kill you for me. You ready to sign up? See, from the beginning, you need to understand that. Don't wait. Don't wait down the road. Don't wait. Don't wait down the road. Uh-oh, my faith is suddenly going to cost me something. Am I in or am I out? Or am I in or am I... No, no, no. Settle that, settle that right now. Okay, settle that right now. Every day you have to take up your what? Your, your crossword puzzle? Is that what Jesus said? Take up your crossword puzzle and follow me? Did I quote that right? What did he say? Take up your... Okay, that's where you go to die. The cross is where you go to die. If you're not doing that daily, then when the time comes where you have to actually truly make a sacrifice for Christ, you don't have it all on the table yet. This is a huge mistake. The beginning of faith, Jesus asks 
you to put everything up on the table. It's all his. If you just have like one foot on the table and everything else is still yours and then the time of reckoning comes where it's going to cost you something, that will expose that you have actually not already offered yourself as a living sacrifice. The trial will reveal your heart. Luke 6, 22 to 23, blessed are you, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Yes! Is that your heart? It's not my heart. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Get this, woe to you when all people speak well of you. I'm going to read that again. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Do all people speak well of you right now? Nobody giving you a hard time for your faith? Everyone's cool with you? Maybe, maybe you're not doing it right. Jesus warned about persecution. Who is annoyed by you because of your faith right now? Who's bothered by you, bothering you, scrutinizing you, ridiculing you, pecking away at you at work, poking fun at you? Who's doing that? Who's doing that? If the answer is nobody, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you're doing it wrong. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Expect opposition to your faith. Jesus warned about persecution. Jot this down. Take heart from those who witnessed well. We have a record of people who suffered well for Christ to encourage us, to embolden us. Paul would mention that. He's like, you think my chains actually is putting out the fire of the gospel? No, people are actually emboldened to speak more courageously because I'm in jail and I'm sticking with it. When you watch someone suffer for Christ, it emboldens you. Take heart from those who witness well. The Bible commends those like Daniel thrown into a lion's den and God shut their mouths. His friends were thrown into a fiery furnace and they came out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Esther revealed her heritage to the king and risked her entire life and saved the whole nation. Moses went and confronted, confronted Pharaoh. Let my people go. He put it all on the line because he, he accounted the reproach of Christ is greater than the treasures of Egypt. He walked away from the storehouses of the treasures of Egypt because of Christ because he had greater treasure in heaven. Do you see what you're revealing about your heart? My treasure is in heaven. It's not on earth. One of the most famous stories that was, ever, that was inspiring to me was Richard Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor and when the Soviets took over Romania, they hauled all the pastors into a church and they forced them to say that communism is perfectly compliant with the gospel of Jesus even though they force atheism. They wanted the pastors to start swearing their allegiance to the Soviets, and if they didn't do that, terrible things were going to happen. One pastor after another started getting up, saying communism's great. Uh, you know, this is many years ago. Communism's great. You know, we can, we can, we can definitely work with this. And Richard uh, Wormbrand's wife said, get up there and wipe the reproach of Christ away. Uh, Sabina was her name, and Richard said, if I speak, you will not have a husband. And she said, I do not want a coward for a husband. He got up and he started preaching the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. We do not bow to any. He started preaching and it was being broadcast to the whole Soviet Union. And they ran up and tried to unplug the cords and he disappeared several weeks later. He wrote the book eventually, Tortured for Christ. 
And he started a movement called Voice of the Martyrs. He got up and he risked it all. And how about the faith of his wife? What a difference they made. Take heart from those who witnessed well. Be brave, be bold. Many people before you were fearless in their faith. Don't be afraid in your home. Don't be afraid at your job. Don't be afraid in the world. Be brave, be bold, and expect opposition to your faith because it's coming and it's only going to get worse. So number one, expect opposition to your faith. Jesus warned us, take heart from those who witness well, and Peter and John are giving us a great example. Number two, share your faith with confidence and courage. When you get a chance to talk, share your faith with confidence and courage. So it says here in verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, we don't know who John and Alexander exactly were, but they were tied into the uh, high priestly family, maybe next in line. And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired. So now this, is, this would be the feeling of you being brought into Congress. This is like the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body of the land. Uh, they have authority. That's the emotion. That's the gravity here. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, don't miss this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yes, Peter! Don't you think he really wanted to go back to that night? When he was humiliated and he said, I never knew Jesus. Don't you think he would have given a million dollars to go back to that night and give this speech? And he finally got his chance. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Give me your astonished noise. Who are these two fishermen? They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I got a smiley face next to that in my Bible. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter shared his faith. Share your faith with confidence and courage. What did he say? He said, rulers of the people and elders. Verse 10, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this healing was done whom you crucified. This is now a reverse trial. He now puts them on trial. He's, he's giving them the charges against them. Bold move. You crucified, God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So he's telling them about the scripture. That's from Psalm 118, 22. 
He's telling them about the scripture that points to this very thing happening. You are fulfilling Old Testament prophecy where the Messiah would be rejected. God overruled that and raised him from the grave. Verse 12, and there is salvation, that means to save, in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the gospel. Can you share the gospel with confidence and courage? Peter cuts to the chase. He talks about Jesus. He tells them they messed up, as the scripture said they would. And he says Jesus is the only one who can save us. Here's some observations here. Jot this down. The Holy Spirit will use your voice. Remember it says here, Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity. We believe in triune God. God in three persons. One God, three persons. The Holy Spirit, when you're saved, comes to take up residency in your life. And that makes you a temple of the living God. He's there to comfort you, to help you, to strengthen you, and to transform you. Therefore, you become a version of Emmanuel, God with us. God now dwells in you, and you get to walk around, and you get to help people encounter God because he's in you. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, that means that you are in a position, relationally, where you are totally surrendered and ready for God to use you in a powerful, special way. It doesn't mean more of the Spirit is filling you up. You're not getting more of him. He's getting more of you. To be in step with the Spirit means to be not grieving God. If you are sinning and hiding it, if you are dull and dead to the things of God, that, that's kind of being empty of the Spirit. It's relationally, you're drifting. That doesn't mean the Spirit has left you. It just means that you have baggage with God. But when the Spirit fills you, you can become a witness. God speaking through you. We are ambassadors, Paul will next, will write to the Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you. An ambassador. You're from a different land and you are showing up in a hostile country, giving them the terms of peace. That's you. Do you want to become a bold witness? Do you want to share your faith courageously? It's not you. It's going to be Christ in you. The Spirit filling you up that gives you the courage and helps you know what to say. That should give you confidence. You should look at this and be like, if Peter can do it, I can do it. <laughs> right? Like Peter's highlight reel in the scripture is like, you ever see the movie or the television program Wipeout? You ever see that? Where they keep getting knocked off, you know, the, 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 you know and they just fall. They look all my. That's like Peter's highlight reel up until the book of Acts, where suddenly he's like this lion who's fearless. That's because God's in him. The Spirit's filling him. That should give you confidence that God can transform you into a bold witness, unafraid for Christ. I hope you agree deep in your soul that God can transform you into a courageous witness. No matter your starting point. You remember Moses, right? Burning bush. Here's a picture. Moses, burning bush. And the bush burned, but didn't burn up. And Moses, you know, 80-ish years old, God's going to send him back to save a whole nation. And the bush talked. Uh, amazing. Uh, Moses, Moses. And uh, who are you? I'm the I am. And I'm sending you. And then what did Moses do? What did Moses say? Me? So, okay, you might want to write this down. Don't talk back to the burning bush. Okay, if the burning bush tells you to do something, do it. Moses talked back to the burning bush. I can't speak well, burning bush. I've never really been articulate. I clam up. 
you know, I don't know what to say. I'll tell you what to say. Yeah, but I I get afraid. I I don't even know what to say. I'll give you the words. They're not going to believe me. And then that whole throw the stick on the ground, it becomes a snake. He runs away from it. Come back, pick it up. The whole dance. Look, this is how you and I go with God. Send someone else. I can't do it. I don't know. They're not going to believe me. It's too late. They're settled in their way. Isn't this the way you think when you know God wants you to talk to somebody about faith? I can't be the one. Just someone else. Just someone else. Just someone else. Isn't that what you think? You think God can't use you, but God can use you because the Spirit will fill you up. You'll be His messenger. The Holy Spirit will use your voice. No more excuses. If the Spirit fills you, God can speak through you. Jot this down. Spend a lot of time with Jesus. This is how Jesus got them ready. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's how you get ready. You just, you're just with Jesus in prayer, in worship, in your, in your small group, together, and also in your devotion time. You read your Bible, and you let God speak to you. You've been with Jesus. You've been with Jesus. Out of that relationship, you become a follower of Christ, and then others who come up alongside you see you've been with Jesus. Now, I know you might feel like, yeah, I mean, I've got sin in my life, and if I start talking, people are going to be like, you are going to tell me how to live? Don't worry about that. They will know that there's something different about you, even if you blow it from time to time, but they'll see that you have a shepherd who's leading you past that. And spend a lot of time with Jesus. Look at, they're uneducated common men, they're fishermen. They didn't have a college degree. They didn't, have a, they didn't get into scribe school. They weren't chosen to be teachers of the... Who are these people? Maybe you feel like that. I'm not qualified. And, and you don't have to feel that way. God can use you with your knowledge, with your life experience, to share the truth with other people. He's using them. He's using them. And jot this down. Believe Jesus is the only way. Believe Jesus is the only way. Going into it, you have to have the gospel nailed down in your own heart. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, who has become the cornerstone. Look, Caiaphas is right there. Okay, he was high priest and... um, he saw bound Jesus and handed down the death sentence uh, off, off to Annas and saw the bound Jesus, the Messiah, handed down the death sentence. Then off to the Sanhedrin, but the trial was already over. Daybreak. They condemned him, brought him to Pilate. They killed God's son. And Peter says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. When you think stone, don't think brick. Like, like when it comes to the temple, the ancient buildings, these were massive. Here's a picture in Lebanon of a building stone, an ancient building stone they found. All right, so 
When it says like the stone that, you know, the builders has become a stumbling block, it's kind of a funny thing to imagine tripping over that, you know, like going through my life and, you know, just doing what, whoa, tumble and fall and turn around and see that. Okay, it's kind of a comical thing to trip over a foundation stone, meaning you really have to be so ignorant and out of it and blind to trip over that thing, okay? Jesus is that. And you reject, mm, I don't know, should this be the foundation? I'm not sure, let's look at it, let's see. Ah! Rejected. And then God picked it up and put it in the central part of the structure. And Peter is telling them, you blew it. You have to believe in Jesus as the only way. Do you know Jesus alone qualifies as the only name given among men by which we must be saved? See, if you go into it and you say, well, you know, there's a lot of different ways and you start shirking, shrinking back and I don't, yeah, I don't, maybe there are other ways. Whoa, you got to have it nailed down in your own heart before you even say word one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You don't start cutting the truth in half to try and make people feel better. Well, I don't want to offend anybody, and I know everybody has their own opinion, and I know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you ashamed of the gospel? This could save people forever. Don't say sorry. Don't say sorry. If you share half the gospel, do you think on the other side, when eternity is about to begin and people didn't get in, they're going to thank you for being kind and not hurting their feelings? Just before I go off to eternal torment, I'd like to say thank you for not hurting my feelings. You shared a tenth of the gospel with me, and it was very kind of you. Bye. Do you really think that's going to happen? They will thank you forever and ever and ever if you tell them the truth, no matter how they react. No matter how they react. You think they're going to like it in the moment? Maybe not. Forever they will thank you. Believe Jesus is the only way and tell them the full truth about the Savior. They're telling the, the Bible nerds are right there. They, the know-it-alls are right there. And, and they're like, uh, hello? Need I quote this to you? He is the cornerstone. You rejected him. Does someone want to grab a scroll? perhaps, and open up to Psalm 118, 22? Anyone? Anyone? And they're just standing there like this. Why are they the ones telling what the Bible says? The word affirmed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hey, name the name of Jesus as often and as naturally and as confidently and as affectionately as you can. Just say his name. How about starting there? in the high school classroom? How about starting there on the college campus? How about starting there in the break room? Jesus, save my soul. Start with the name Jesus and then whatever comes out after that, you'll have a hearing. How about naming the name of Jesus at your dinner table, at your family party, even if they don't believe? How about naming the name of Jesus on the text thread? How about, how about you're the one who's talking about him. Believe he is the only way. Tell the world about him. Number one, expect opposition to your faith. Jesus warned about persecution. Take heart from those who witnessed well. Share your faith with confidence and courage. The Holy Spirit's going to use your voice. Spend a lot of time with Jesus. And believe Jesus is the only way. Okay, he gave his speech. Now what happens? Let's, let's read on. 
They recognized they had been with Jesus, verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I love this part so much. They're like, wanting to say so many things right now. So many terrible, threatening, horrible things. But they look at Peter, and then they look at John, and then they see the crippled guy. I love that this just comes up, that he's just standing there. What's he doing this whole time? See, because see, he got his first night's sleep with his new legs, and now he's up again. And yesterday, he was dancing and leaping and praising God. So in my imagination, what I imagine this guy doing is he's sitting there like this. He's getting ready to what? To go and do a little more leaping and dancing and shouting and praising the Lord. You know, he's getting his, he's getting legs ready and they're looking at him and they're like, we want to kill these guys. But this guy over here is warming up because his legs are working for the first time in 40 years. And they're like, huh, 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 huh. Are we done yet? Can I go? I'm really excited about my new legs. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. They don't know what to do. Look, a bunch of crooked politicians who killed the Son of God, who want you out, and they say nothing, that's a good day. They don't know what to do. We cannot deny it. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, well, we can't let this get out of hand. I mean, we have to do something. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them back in and charge them listen, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Okay, we'll let this slide. What hardness of heart. Do you see the human condition here? If people don't respond to the gospel, it's not you. You could literally perform a wonder and a sign in front of them, and they'd be like, okay, ugh, what do I say now? Do you see? You can't change the heart. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Now the gauntlet is thrown down. Because listening to you is no longer listening to God. Oh my goodness. He just undercut their entire authority. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, you are not listening to me. Doesn't matter what they said. It's all bluster now. And whatever people say to you, it's just like the Charlie Brown teacher. You're like, okay, I'm going to listen to God. Thank you for your feedback, but I'm going to listen to God. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God. Out, Out in the distance, you hear, God is great, God is glorious. Bring out the dancing cripple. We want to see him again. We can't do anything now because all the people are out there and we're going to have a riot on our hands. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They let them go. The dancing cripple got to go out and, and have his time again. Okay, what do we learn from this? You have to stand your ground without fear or compromise. Jot this down. Refuse to sin regardless of the pressure. Refuse to sin regardless of the pressure. And I don't know who's in the room. I don't know who's online. 
this might speak to you, if there is anyone in your life pressuring you to let go of your Christian convictions, let go of your devotion to Christ, let go of your moral convictions, listen, 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 do not cave. I don't care who that person is. I don't care what they mean to you. I don't care how long you've known them. Never, ever let anyone pressure you to let go of your convictions to Christ. Maybe you need to hear that. Refuse to sin regardless of the pressure. This is black and white. Doesn't matter if the government tells you or your spouse tells you or a parent or a teacher tries to force you to sin. Never sin regardless of the pressure. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, lived during the Nazi times, Nazi Germany, and he raised up a school of preachers. And because of his bold witness for the things of Christ and his opposition to the ruthless, bloodthirsty Nazis, he was killed by the Third Reich. Here's a picture of him. Uh, it would be awesome if you read his biography. It will greatly encourage your faith. Okay? And again, very unlikely that you get captured and killed by Nazis. Okay? He really, really had quite a fear. So his story can encourage you. Um, but up to the end, he said, look, this faith is worth defending. I'm going to stand my ground. I don't care what happens to me. And men and women have boldly refused to sin, regardless of the pressure. And you need to refuse to sin too. Jot this down. Resolve to be a godly witness, regardless of the sacrifice. So not only did they stop, they wouldn't sin. They wouldn't be like, all right, what do you want us to say? Say Jesus isn't the Savior. Okay, fine. Jesus isn't. The... They didn't sin. But they didn't freak out. Right? They didn't freak out. They, they didn't sin in, in being witnesses that lost it. And they were godly witnesses. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't matter if you're talking to the school board or your supervisor or your child or whatever it is, whatever it is, you're not, you're not going to become a witness who's suddenly belligerent. You're not going to become a witness who's suddenly, let the artillery fly. I'm going to speak my mind. You're, you're very careful in how you witness. You, you don't lose it. Um, and it doesn't matter the sacrifice. Maybe you will lose a job. Maybe you will lose a relationship. Maybe you will lose a family member. You don't know. But you're not going to cross over that threshold of sin into trying to control somebody else or fight for your rights in an illegitimate manner. Yeah, there could be formal ways, credible ways, where you do say, hey, look, this is unfair. Paul models that for us all through the book of Acts. He'll say, is it uh, okay to, to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? And then suddenly, like, the magistrates are, like, backing out of the room, right, because they're about to do a sinful thing. If you have formal channels of appeal, you can use them. But you can't cross over into sin, Resolve to be a godly witness regardless of the sacrifice. And then jot this down. Expect God to eventually silence or save your opponents. Expect God to eventually silence or save your opponents. God shut the mouths of these lions. They had nothing to say. And if God can shut their mouths, whoever it is that's, that's out for you, that's, that's you know, be, belittling you, berating you, whoever it is that's pressuring you, he can silence them, or even better yet, he can save them. He can save them. There will come a time soon where the seeds that are sown right now in the Sanhedrin are going to bear fruit. There comes a point in Acts where it says a great number of priests have been saved. Okay, Nicodemus is already saved. Okay, he's likely around. Apostle Paul somewhere is around here. If he wasn't in the room, he would hear about it very shortly. He's rising star under Gamaliel. 
a lot of these men are going to get radically saved. They're sitting there right now thinking, I killed the Messiah. They're not saying it yet. They're thinking it. God is, God is wrecking them. And there's people in your life, and God is wrecking them, and you don't know it yet. And you don't know it yet. And you can't see it yet. That's why you got to hold it together, refuse to sin, be a godly witness, and expect God to eventually silent that person, marginalize them, get them off your back, or save them, no matter how lost you think they are. What a story. Let me close with one more encouraging testimony, because I want you to feel that you can be a confident witness for Jesus Christ. There was a man named Jack Barsky who was recruited by the KGB at a young age to become one of the most thoroughly trained spies in the history of the Soviet Union. If you can sneak into the country, steal an identity, and make it look like you grew up here, you can get anywhere. You're not suspected of being an operative from the country, and that was Jack Barsky's mission. And he was doing it well. But then the Soviet Union fell apart, and he was stranded because his mission to slowly infiltrate the government was abandoned after the Cold War ceased. He's now stranded in the U.S., and he can't go back to the Soviet Union. He wanted to leave his life of being a spy behind. His worldview collapsed because the Soviet Union taught him there was no God, and the country was the hope of the world. Now he had built a life here, ran a business here, Nobody knew he was one of the most thoroughly trained KGB spies in history. He wrote a book about his time called Deep Undercover by Jack Barsky. And he tells of how a woman who he was interviewing for executive assistant led him to faith in Jesus Christ, gave him a Bible, and they ended up getting married. What would you say if you were witnessing to a KGB spy thoroughly trained, knows several languages, a chemist, what would you say to him to convince him to consider the gospel? Check out how she did it. She, she made a really good impression. We called her in for the interview, and she just knocked it out of the park. And it wasn't just me. It was human resources and an, an associate of mine. So we hired her. And it didn't take very long. Uh, she, she comes in with this radical, this phenomenal glow on her face, an aura that I've never uh, seen before. And I wasn't the only one, but at one point I, I asked you, uh, what is it, what makes you look so, so certain about things? And you answered? Must be Jesus. And I w <laughs> so, remember those of you who are here yesterday about marketplace evangelism, here you go, right here. And, and I went, and I didn't, I don't know if I said it, but how in the world can somebody uh, get strength from somebody who, A, she can't talk to, she can't see, and I don't know if he exists. Three words, must be Jesus. Amen. That's all she said. I got him. It arrested him, captured his attention. She gave him a Bible, he started reading, he got radically saved. Now he represents the king of kings and the kingdom that will never, ever end. Look, God can use you to reach anybody. Be confident. Invite him to use you. Stand your ground. And you will be filled with the Spirit of God and lives will be changed forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you would use us to be your witnesses 
We want to learn to share our faith boldly. No matter who stands before us, no matter the pressure, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, whether it's a minute on an elevator, five minutes in an Uber, 10 minutes in the break room, no matter where we are, we pray that you would give us that courage to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe a quick prayer at a family party or a loving text or, or a lunch with a longtime friend who we want to reach out to. Whatever it is, make us your witnesses, Jesus. Help us to go. Change the world because one conversation at a time, we are willing to name the name of Christ and there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, Lord, I just pray that perhaps there's anybody here online who has never fully surrendered their life to Christ. They have never with resolve said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and I have been trampling you underfoot with my life. I've been crucifying you all over again. I have rejected the stone on which all of eternity will be built. Shame on me. Forgive me today. Jesus, be my king now. I am certain the hearts of some of these priests and rulers, that it was burning with agony because of what they had done. And I pray that you would help those who are feeling guilty and convicted of sin to realize that if the sin of murdering the Messiah can be covered by the grace of God, whatever we've done in this life can be fully forgiven. Jesus, make us your witnesses. Save us, forgive us, and send us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.